So we're talking about proclaiming the Christian story, and if you are like me, then as we kind of go through this this topic and look at these passages of Scripture in the Bible, then, then maybe you've taken like this line, like, okay, I'm supposed to proclaim the story of Jesus, something if you've been a Christian a long time, you knew. Uh, okay, if I care about people, then I will share the Christian story with them. Okay, the, the Christian story is good news, and I need to remember that it's good news, and it, it's not some you know, horrible thing to tell people, which I hope helped as we saw that last week. And, and so all this is great, and, and I want to share the good news, and I'm supposed to share the good news, and it's good news. But then, if, if you're like me, there's this, this giant divide between that desire, that heart, those ideas, and then actually starting a conversation that matters to somebody's life because it leads to proclaiming uh, the story of Jesus. And, and I think whether you're a Christian who's scared of that giant divide between desire and actually opening your mouth, or if you're not a Christian even, you know that like you have Christian friends and it gets really awkward when they start to try to talk to you about Jesus and you're going along having a great time talking about the Blazers and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, you just tried to talk to me about religion. What's going on? You know, and it gets weird. And, and so I think there's like th- this just giant divide that, that we all sense and feel where, where at some point we have to, it seems, take this giant jump uh, from our desire to share the gospel and actually opening our mouth and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. There was a song that was a famous Christian song a few years ago. I haven't heard it in a while, but uh, here's how part of it goes. Because here I go again, talking about the rain and mulling over things that won't live past today. And as I dance around the truth, time is not his friend. This might be my last chance to tell him that you love him. But here I go again, here I go again. And that's how we feel, right? I mean, even once it clicks and it's like, I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus to proclaim the good news of Jesus. I want to proclaim the good news of Jesus. I know that it's good news for crying out loud and it's easy to share good news most of the time. There's still like this this hang up and we go on and on talking about the rain and sports and how busy we are and our kids and, and then we never actually proclaim the story of Jesus. I think we all who are Christians know that there's a big difference between our willingness and desire and actually saying something that matters. And it feels as wide as the Grand Canyon. It feels like this giant divide that that some of you, I think, you'll think, I'll never overcome this. I'll never, ever, ever be able to actually open my mouth and share my faith because because that's a scary leap, you know, and I'm not evil Knievel. That's who I think about jumping canyons, but I'm not evil Knievel, you know, I'm just me, and I'll never be able to make that leap. And I think what we're going to see in our passage of scripture today, uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 4, is that perhaps there is a step or steps, as we'll see in the next couple weeks, in between our desire 
and proclaiming the story of Jesus. And I think when we see the steps in between, then perhaps the divide is not so great and so scary, but instead it's just a natural progression maybe in a conversation that we might have with somebody. But it's going to take us following this, what we're gonna see today, and saying, yeah, I'll actually take that seriously if we're ever gonna get across to the other side of this canyon. If we're ever gonna start to talk about Jesus, then, then I think that maybe before we say, you know, Jesus and he died and he rose again, before we say that, there's maybe something else that should happen in our conversations that are, that are really, 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 really important. And this is how it starts in Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, the first part of evangelism is prayer. And Paul is going to, in in the next few verses, talk about proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the story of Jesus, sharing one's faith, sharing his faith for that matter. But before he gets to that, he, he wants to lay a foundation. And the foundation is prayer. Here's what I think. I think that a lot of us act like we care about telling somebody else about Jesus. But the proof, I believe, is in the prayer. If I could sound a little corny. I mean, the proof is in the prayer. If we are not actually praying for people to accept Jesus, to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to become Christians so that they can spend eternity in heaven with us, then then I think we're maybe lying to ourselves about whether or not that's actually an important goal in our lives. Uh, There was a a famous pastor, and I I heard this story years ago, and I tried to find it this week, so I don't know who it is, but he's famous, and maybe you can tell me who it is afterwards. But he had a list of a 100 people that he prayed for every single day that weren't Christians, and he wanted them to know Jesus, and he prayed every single day for them. And over the course of his life, like 70 years after he started this routine of praying for these people every day, he saw one after another begin to accept Jesus. And the last two on his list accepted Jesus, became Christians after he died. And he was faithful his whole life to praying for these people to accept Jesus. And Paul is going to say something about proclaiming our faith. He's going to show us these steps and and what it can look like to get to the point where we're talking about Jesus. But before he does, he says, hey, here's here's a big part of it, pray. And I would say that if we are going to be serious people about sharing our faith, if we were going to be a serious church about sharing our faith, then it is going to have to begin with us praying for people that we know, that we love, that don't know Jesus. That should happen in your personal prayer times. I mean, you should be bowing before the throne of God daily, at least weekly, and saying, Jesus, please, please, please bring these people to yourself. I think that... uh, You could come on Sunday mornings and we have a prayer meeting, a small prayer meeting that happens from nine o'clock to 9.25, just 25 minutes where we pray for this service in this church and and you could come every week. They would love to have you, the group that's meeting and you could pray there. And And then we have a monthly prayer meeting and it's horribly unattended in our church. And you know what that suggests to me? That maybe we don't really care as much as we'd like to think about the lost people all around us. 
I'm sorry if that sounds a little bit like condemnation of your uh, response to our prayer meetings, but it is. I think that if you really cared, and we, every time we begin, the first thing we pray for is for those that we know and love and care about that don't know Jesus, and we pray that they would accept Jesus, sometimes by name, sometimes in general, but we pray that they would accept Jesus. And if we want to be a people that tell people about Jesus, that proclaim the truth of Jesus, then we're gonna make prayer more important than the other things we fill our time with. And we're gonna get on our knees in front of God and say, God, please, please, please bring these people into a relationship with you. Paul says that when we do those prayers, when we are praying, then those prayers should be watchful and thankful. And that word watchful refers to the idea, it implies the idea of paying attention to the circumstances of life that affect the person when it comes to sharing one's faith. And so it's not just that we come every day and we say, Jesus, you know, bring him to salvation. That's good. That would be a start. But this is actually paying attention to what's going on in their life and caring about these people enough to say, hey, Jesus, I know that they are having a problem with their, with their spouse. And Jesus, maybe you could work in that and, and cause that to draw their attention to you. Watchfulness implies the idea of actually paying attention to what you're praying for and not just checking it off a list every week and going, well, I prayed for them. Jesus, save them, good enough. But actually paying attention and praying things that are real and, and, and that, that are genuine. When we pray with watchfulness, then I think we pray, as one author said it, more purposefully, uh, more personally, and more powerfully. And, and I think that we need to be watchful and, and paying attention to what's going on in our loved ones' lives that don't know Jesus. The other part, the thankfulness part, I think it's just a reminder of what we talked about last week. It's so easy to forget. If you've been a Christian a long time, it's so easy to forget how good of news the Christian story is. And I said last week that when we first become Christians, and you know this if you're a Christian, when you first became a Christian, you were excited to tell everybody, hey, I became a Christian, I have forgiveness for my sins, I feel joy that I've never felt before, there's a newfound peace, it's awesome, you should know about it too. But over time, you start to get some baggage, I think, and you met a Christian that wasn't so nice, and your church hasn't been perfect, and you know some of the bad things, and there's some theology that we like to hide, you know, and, and there's some parts of the Bible that are a little bit difficult to deal with, and over time, it's like, wow, what seemed like such great news now is like kind of good news that, you know, I kind of like, but there's other parts too. And I think that if we will pray for the lost, being thankful for what God has done for us, then it reminds us daily, weekly, how great of news the story of Jesus is for us. But most of us, if we're being honest, when we pray, it sounds like a checklist of things that we want for our lives, right? Like, hey God, new car, hey God, my leg hurts, hey God. And those things are fine. I'm not diminishing the importance of praying for things like that. But if we're not being thankful, then over time, we're gonna forget how great of a story the story of Jesus is. That Jesus uh, was in heaven, he came down to earth, was born of a virgin, lived a completely sinless life, died a terrible, horrific, torturous death on a cross, rose again three days later, and then ascended into heaven where he is both Lord and Savior and offers us forgiveness for our sins and joy and peace and hope and things that we cannot possibly have apart from him. And when we get on our knees and say, hey, Jesus, thank you, by the way, for coming here. I mean, when's the last time you said that? Hey, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. Hey, Jesus, thank you for being willing to suffer and die for me. When's the last time you said that outside of church? 
And if you haven't said it in a long time, then, then, you're, then you're really going to forget how good of news the story is. And when you think about sharing the gospel with somebody else, when you think about proclaiming the good news of Jesus, you're going to think about it in negative terms and not in the positive terms that you should because you haven't been thankful in a long time. And so Paul opens this section on proclaiming the good news of Jesus by saying, hey, here's the deal. You need to be praying and you need to be praying with a watchful mind and a thankful heart. And then he says this next, verse three, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, there's really cool wordplay here because Paul, when he writes this, is actually in prison, okay? So think about it. He's in prison, and he says, pray for open doors. And if you didn't know anything else about Paul and his attitude and his heart and his ministry, wouldn't you be like, of course he wants open doors. He wants open doors so that he can leave prison, wouldn't that be the logical prayer? Wouldn't that be the prayer that you would pray? Hey, God, get me out of here. You know, I, I don't want to be here anymore. And Paul says, God, I mean, pray. Here's what I want you to pray, church in Colossae. I want you to pray for open doors. And let me tell you what those open doors are for. Open doors so that we can share our message, so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus. I don't care if I'm continuing to sit in prison. I don't care if I'm being tortured. I don't care if I'm in shackles. I don't care how they treat me. What I want is an open door, not for this prison cell, but an open door for the gospel of Jesus to be proclaimed to others. I want doors to be flung open so that the message of Jesus can be told to other people. And that's what he says, so that we may, his, him and his people, his friends, his partners, his ministry partners, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which he says, I am in chains. Paul says, what I want is for opportunity to avail itself so that I may tell people, proclaim to people the mystery of Jesus. That word for mystery has a lot of theological uh, connections, connotations in the New Testament in Paul's writings, but we don't have to go very far to see some of the theological kind of nuances because earlier in the book in Colossians 1.27, he says, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's saying, I want doors to be opened so that the gospel may be proclaimed and part of that gospel is this wonderful mystery that Christ can be in you so that you have the hope of eternal glory in heaven where it will be perfect and fun and great and good and we'll hang out with our loved ones who are there with us. Isn't that cool? Paul sitting in a prison cell says, I just want the doors to swing wide so that I can tell somebody about Jesus, the mystery of Jesus, which is Christ in me, the hope of glory, a hope of eternal life. And here's what it reminds me of. That part of the problem we have with proclaiming our faith is that we are not actively pursuing or looking for or paying attention to the open doors that are all around us. We think that we have two options. Don't tell anybody about Jesus or bring it up in the middle of a conversation about the NBA playoffs and just throw it in there and things get awkward. But Paul says, here's what I'm looking for, an open door that I can just, it just becomes a natural progression. And I wonder if we're looking for open doors. Let me tell you a story that's kind of embarrassing 
It, it really is because I'm sitting at a, a Starbucks table. They have what I call the awkward table at the Starbucks in Wilsonville now. This big table where obviously you have to sit by strangers that you don't know and nobody really wants to, but you have to because there's not that many seats and there you are. And, and so there I am working on a sermon about proclaiming our faith and this guy who's at Starbucks all the time sits down and he has a Bible and he always has the Bible. But you know what I did? Instead of seeing it as an open door, I just told myself, oh, he probably knows Jesus anyway. He has a Bible, right? But this, is like, this was like the most wide open door that I could possibly imagine. A man sits down with the Bible. A natural thing to do in that situation, I believe, is to go, why do you have a Bible? You know, what are you reading over there? Do you have any questions about that? I might be able to answer them. But yet we live our lives thinking two options. I will... I will just not say anything or I will say something. But Paul says, what I'm looking for is an open door, an opportunity. And here's what I noticed because I have like for months now, I know it doesn't sound like it based on that story, but, but I knew this sermon series was coming. This is here in part um, because I've been thinking about this and this topic and what does the Bible say about it? You know, we uh, it planned a year ago and so it's out in front of us for a year. And uh, and as I start to think about this, these open doors, I start to see them more in conversations. And I'm not good at it, as I just illustrated, but I am becoming better at going, wait a minute, that's something that I, that I connect to the gospel when they bring it up. Wait, that right there, that, they just said something profound or, or they said something that connects on a deeper emotional level. Maybe instead of talking about the weather, instead of talking how, about how busy I am, instead of talking about entertainment because we're a society that is entertaining ourselves to death, instead of talking about those things, uh, maybe I could actually, you know, ask a question about that deep thing that they just said. Maybe that was the open door that God has provided for me. And so in between, I think, talking about Jesus, the story of Jesus, just sharing it outright, and over here, a desire to share the good news with other, others, is prayer for open doors and then actually paying attention for when those open doors come. And I would offer walking through those doors as well. You know, even if you're more bold than, than I, I was at a pastor's luncheon um, on Thursday and I met a really cool guy named Michael. Uh, and, and Michael is part of a house church and this house church doesn't even meet together yet. Um, they were meeting together, but, but they, they've stopped and they're trying to figure themselves out. And uh, So what they're doing right now is they are walking door to door and the neighbors, uh, to the neighbors of, of the three families that are involved in this house church, knocking on doors and saying, hey, do you have a minute? We want to tell you about Jesus. Now, this is cool. This is a knock on a door. It's a literal door, right? And the door opens, but yet, in those conversations, they still are making decisions about whether or not the door is open or not. He said sometimes he gets a red light, sometimes he gets a yellow light, and sometimes he gets a green light. And, and if it's a red light, they say, okay, we'll talk to you later. If it's a yellow light, then they say, hey, you mind if we come back? We'll talk more later. And usually he said that's, a, that's something that happens. And if it's a green light, then they just go, hey, here's the story of Jesus. And they've had two people so far accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior just by looking for open doors, even though they, maybe more than you, are creating an open door by knocking on somebody's door. And so what Michael illustrates and what Paul is looking for is not just, you know, sitting back and doing nothing, but being actively 
open to the idea and praying for God opening doors so that you may share the story of Jesus with other people. Paul continues. He says, and this is so cool. I want you to pay very close attention to this. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The word proclaim here um, is a Greek word, as most of the New Testament is, that's, that translates a word that means more literally like make manifest or make clear or make openly known. And, and here's what I have kind of seen in people that I've talked to about proclaiming Jesus. There's this idea that we must do it eloquently. There's this idea that we must do it in a way that seems intelligent. There's this idea that we must have all the right words, that we must have the answers to every question. And interestingly, when Paul, who you know was eloquent and was smart and well-trained, when he's talking about how to pray for him, for sharing his faith, what does he say? He says, just pray that I may proclaim it simply that I can tell it in the simplest way possible, that I can just make it known. That's what he wants. And I think one of the hangups in this divide that separates willingness and actually sharing our faith is this idea that we need to have some powerful, profound, intelligent words. And Paul is just like, here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that, that I'll just be able to say it in the most plain, obvious, easiest way possible. Jesus came, he died for your sins. You can have forgiveness because he rose again and lives forevermore. He says, just pray that I'll be able to make it manifest, that I'll be able to make it openly known, that it will be plain. Here's what I jotted down. Our job isn't to make the gospel look good. It is to tell people the gospel, which is good. And I think we have that backwards. We think if I just could do a great job of making Jesus look good to people, then I would share it more frequently. I would, I would be more willing to share it. I would actually have conversations. And Paul's like, hey, the gospel's good. It's just your job to tell people it so that they can recognize it for how good it actually is. And so when you're thinking about like, wow, I'm, I want to, I've made a commitment now, most of you in this church made a commitment to, to being willing to be obedient, to wanting to be obedient to Jesus' command, to, to make disciples, and last week we talked about how it's good news, and hopefully you're like, I want to share my faith. When you're thinking about that great divide, it's prayer, and prayer for open doors, and recognizing those open doors, and then you must remember that it isn't up to you to make the gospel look good, it's just up to you to share the gospel, which is good, and to do it, if you're doing it best as you should in Paul's words, you'll do it in the most plain way possible and you'll let God work. And then Paul says this other thing, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. So now Paul turns his attention and say, okay, you're praying and you want open doors and you want to make the gospel clear. But while you're waiting for these open doors, is there anything you can do to prepare people's hearts for the open doors, to, to allow God to open doors in people's lives that might be hardened towards Jesus? Is there anything that you can do? And the first thing he says is be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Walking in wisdom, which is more literal, is, is an idiom for living a godly moral life. We already know this, right? We must live beautifully if people are going to look at us 
and accept the gospel, the good news that we tell them about. In a song that uh, I think it's called Shine by the Newsboys and Old Shine, at the beginning of that, at least on the CD I had uh, as a high schooler, uh, it opened with somebody saying, what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and don't acknowledge him with their lives. And if we are going to have opportunities to share Jesus with people, then, then we must live beautifully. And in fact, uh, and I think this is going to be good for us as a church, what we'll follow this sermon series up with, and maybe you've seen this being advertised already, is a sermon series we're calling Exiles, which is on First Peter. And the book of First Peter is in large part about living a beautiful life in the midst of, a, of an evil world and in front of people who don't love and serve the Jesus that we who are Christians love and serve. And so I hope you'll be a part of that sermon series, but just now for just the quick version is you must live a godly life if you want a real opportunity to share your faith. And then Paul says this other thing. He says, make the most of every opportunity. And, and here's another really important Greek word for this section. Uh, that, that phrase is literally redeeming the time. In Galatians 3.13, it's used, it says, Christ redeemed us, same word, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, which is one of only, you know, three other places this word is used, but when the time, when the set time had fully come, God has sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to, same word, redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so when Paul pops in here and he's talking about how you ought to act with outsiders and he uses this word, he uses a pretty heavy, powerful, Jesus-driven word. And he says not that you should just make the most of every opportunity, but that you, in the midst of your conversations, should be buying back the time. You should be redeeming the time. Now think about your conversations most of them, if I could just guess, if you're like me, I'm not judging you here. Uh, most of you, the majority of your conversations are extremely unimportant, right? I mean, most of what you talk about in the course of the day could not be said. In fact, I know people, some of you in front of me, who are very quiet and you seem just perfectly happy with your lives, you know, going through, not having a lot of conversations, only having meaningful conversations, and you seem just fine. And the rest of us talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and don't really say anything. And what Paul is saying is that instead of that, when you're having conversations with the outside world, do your best to redeem that time. Do your best to make that time matter. It doesn't mean that we never have small talk. It's just that when we have small talk, we remember that there's purpose behind the small talk. And we're always trying to move that conversation to something more valuable, more important for the spiritual life of the other person. This is a, a life-changing sentence. Redeem the time. Remember that when you talk to outsiders, the goal is redemption. The goal is for them to be redeemed by Jesus and therefore do your best to make the conversation matter. I don't know what that means. 
I don't know what it means in every conversation, I should say. I, I don't know if you're looking for ways to insert Jesus into the conversation. It depends on your relationship, I'm sure it doesn't. I don't know if it means that you're just looking to take the conversation to deeper levels where you move past the weather and you even take one step and move into family life. I don't know what it means, but I think it's pretty profound that we go, every conversation I have with somebody who's not a Christian, I ought to be redeeming that time and making that time actually important instead of just conversation. If we, I'm telling you, this, if we would just do one of these things, we'd be moving forward, you know? Remember that the gospel should be simple. Remember to pray for, for those that, that aren't Christians and to do it with thankfulness and watchfulness and remembering that we should be looking for open doors and remembering that we should be buying back the time we should be redeeming the waste of time that so often is conversation. And then Paul explains a little bit on how we can do it. And this is gonna take different, like I just said, different, different nuances in every conversation depending on your relationship and things like that. But, but he gives us just a little glimpse into how we can do it. This is what he says in verse six. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace may refer to God's grace, or it may refer to being charming, as one author said it. I would say loving, nice, kind, gracious, uh, just kind of a nice person in your conversations. Or, and I think this is probably true, it's probably a combination of both. Our conversations ought to be full of grace because we're constantly remembering what Jesus has done for us and trying to redeem the time. And our conversation should be full of grace because we as Christians should be the kindest, most loving people on the planet of earth. John MacArthur said about that word grace in this context, it means to speak with grace, uh, to say what is spiritual, wholesome, fitting, kind, sensitive, purposeful, complementary, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. Our conversation should just be full of grace. They should be saturated by the love, the, the gift of, of grace that we have received from Jesus who is our Savior. And I just ask, like, if you think about your conversations, are you infusing them with grace? I think grace is the butter that goes on popcorn. Uh, everybody take a bite of your popcorn real quickly if you're able and don't have any health issues. And uh, My wife eats a lot of popcorn. I've desperately tried to find uh, that it's bad for you and it's not at all. Um, she just seems like you, there's a limit on how much popcorn. If you put a lot of butter and salt on it, it it's not as good for you. But uh, So that popcorn's terrible, right? Uh, it, because why? There's no butter. It, it's not gross. It's not bad. It's not anything really. It kind of tastes like chewy water uh, in some ways. And that I think is the majority of our conversations, even our conversations with outsiders. And Paul looks at us and first he says, you need to infuse these conversations with grace. And I would say, and there was no way to bring you melted butter today, but uh, that, that you need to remember that you in your conversations are to be the butter that is goes on the popcorn that is conversation. I think that you need to constantly be showing love and kindness and graciousness and gentleness and helpfulness and servanthood in your conversations. But most of you will just be popcorn. 
And popcorn doesn't lead to open doors. I might have mixed a metaphor there, but, uh, but you got what I'm saying. Popcorn does not lead to open doors. And, but then Paul says this other thing that's really important. He says that it ought to be seasoned with salt. Salt had three usages in, in these times when this book was written. It was there for preservation, it was there for cleansing, and it was there for flavor. And I just wonder if maybe we should be trying to put that into all of our conversations with outsiders. Uh, good news, there's a salt packet in the blue bins in front of you. Now I want everybody to put it in their bags. Work with me here. Put it in your bag, shake up your bag. I'm sorry there's no melted butter. Put it in there and shake it real good. I promise this was all above board too. I didn't just walk into Wendy's and McDonald's. I know you're seeing Wendy's. I went in, I'll tell you the story. I said, how much do I have to buy for you to give me 35 salt packets, you know? And, uh, and so I did that at a couple of places and uh, got enough salt packets for us. Shake it up, shake it up. Now pull it out. It's enough shaking, goodness. Uh, pull it out, take a bite. And hopefully if things work out the way I hoped, it's just a lot better, right? No? You need a butter. See? This, let's just build on this illustration for a minute. Without the grace, the salt doesn't matter, right? And so we need to fill our conversations with the grace, the love, the kindness, the gentleness of Jesus. And then, then we need to, on top of it, sprinkle it, season it with, with things that actually matter, things that will preserve things that will cleanse and things that will add flavor. And Paul says, this is in fact how you redeem back the time. You fill up your conversations with grace and then you do your best to say things, to steer the conversation in a way that has truth, that has meaning, that has value to the other person. And I think that these are the steps between over here, I want to share the gospel with somebody, and I am saying the words of Jesus. We must pray for those people that we love that don't know Jesus. We must look for opportunities, remembering that the goal is not to make the gospel look good, but to share the gospel, which is good. And then we must do our best in every conversation with outsiders to cover it in grace and season it with salt to cover it with love and kindness and gentleness and then to make it matter by not allowing it to just be plain popcorn that, that doesn't do anything for anybody. But at least, at least make every conversation with outsiders something that you have to pay attention to. You know, I mean, take it deeper. Try to talk about Jesus. Look for things that you can say that connect to Jesus. Talk about your church. Remember what your pastor said and use it as an illustration. Even if it doesn't connect to Jesus, at least you've, at least you've added some salt to the conversation and it's no longer just boring and, and unmeaningful. You're redeeming back the time. We have this idea that there are people who can share their faith and people who can't share their faith because you're either a scaredy cat or you have courage. And Paul says, maybe, just maybe, there's some things that you can do in between wanting to share your faith and actually sharing your faith 
that will turn the conversation from one that is unimportant to one that is valuable and meaningful and will eventually allow you to proclaim the story of Jesus. And so I'm asking for a lot, but it all kind of goes together. What I want for you is to make a commitment to praying for people that you love that don't know Jesus. And I would hope that you'd get a list and you'd pray every day. If we could just agree to pray every day, if you're a Christian, you have, and hopefully you have non-Christians that you love and you interact with, but every day you would just pray for them at least this week and maybe try to form a habit going forward. And then I would ask that in your conversations with them, and if you're not having conversations with them, then you're doing something wrong, but in your conversations with them, that you would look for open doors. But until those open doors come, you would be the grace and the salt that flavors those conversations forever. If conversation is the food this is how I had it in my head earlier. If conversation is the food of relationships, then we who are Christians should be the ones that bring it flavor and value. We should be covering every conversation with outsiders in grace, and we should be seasoning it, making sure that it actually has purpose, meaning, and importance to that person's life and isn't just small talk. So I hope that you'll commit to just at least taking these steps. And like I said, I had no hope coming into this morning that we are all going door to door like my new friend Michael and we're gonna be the ones saying, hey, Jesus to everybody. But I think that if we will, let's just go through the steps. If we will say, I should and I want to share my faith with people and I remember that my faith is the best news the world has ever heard and we begin to look for open doors and until those open doors come, we salt and season and, and fill and with grace our conversations, then we're gonna be on the path to being people that break the norm of the 95% of Christians who have never led anybody to Jesus and we're gonna start to see the people we love that we care about come to a saving faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior so that they may have eternal life of complete blessing to look forward to. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just ask that we would be a church that, that doesn't waste conversations. And it's so easy, God, just to go through the motions, just to, to be plain popcorn, Lord, because it doesn't offend anybody. It doesn't bother anybody. Nobody has ever spit plain popcorn out of their mouth. And most people, God, uh, because of how we approach conversations, never really even have to reject Jesus. Um, but I pray that that would change right now. I pray, God, that we would be a church full of people who are constantly praying for others to know you and full of people who are constantly asking you for open doors and looking for them and full of people, God, who are infusing their conversations with outsiders with grace and salt, God, knowing that, that if they will, then at least they're getting closer to telling the wonderful news that is your gospel. Lord, we wanna be a church, you know this, that baptizes people every single Sunday. That is, that is my dream for this church, Lord, to have every single service be a baptismal service, Lord. Uh, and it begins as we learn, God, to redeem the time of our conversations. And so I pray that you would do that now so that we can be all that you have called us to be. 
Uh, We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.